Hello and welcome to the European VC, your podcast for insights into European VC. Broadcasting from Portugal, I am David and I'm joined by Andreas, my dear co-host from Denmark. How are you? Super well, David, and I'm super excited for today because we have something special coming up. This is the first time that we put on this show an emerging manager and we're all about building a connected European funding environment. And with many of our listeners being emerging managers, it just seems like the natural thing to do. Yeah, this is going to be a great one. Before we kick it off, I need to remind our listeners to follow us. The European VC is available on all major podcasting platforms and also at the europeanvc.com. Starting this podcast has been an amazing experience. VCs throughout Europe and the world have shown immense kindness in accommodating our never-ending questions and our listeners as well. You know, we love the suggestions you guys send, so keep on doing that. Yeah, and the same thing goes for our founders among our listeners. If you're looking to raise an international round, do reach out to us. We'd love to help you guys out. We're always here. Today, we are joined by Yuri Navarro, managing partner at Canada Ventures, where they invest in promising B2B enterprise technology startups and help them enter the North American market. Canada Ventures operates out of Toronto and is attracting the best global founder teams to help them settle and grow in Canada. Before kicking it off, we'd like to thank Jennifer Randa for introducing us to Yuri and suggesting some really insightful questions. Yuri, welcome to the show. How's everything? Good, good. You know, the first signs of spring over here, so I think everybody uh, on this side of the Atlantic is feeling a little bit jovial or more so anyways than uh, maybe even just a month ago. So everybody's optimistic. <laughs> awesome. You are based in Canada, Toronto. So why the hell are we, you know, focusing in Europe, talking with you? Do you care to kind of shed some light to our listeners on that? Yeah, sure. So definitely uh, based here in Toronto, but as an immigrant myself, I'm someone that actually has always had a bit of a global perspective. What we're trying to do in Canada Ventures is really focused on helping to bridge the gap between founders in different markets and the North American market via Canada. We feel like there is a key opportunity for Canada to play host to many of these emerging founders and their companies. And so we really want to make sure that we're making that easy for the entrepreneurs and investing, of course, in their journey. And that's, you know, a big part of what we do. One of the reasons why I think Europe is really important to us is because we recognize the talent and, and the quality of startups that are coming out of the European market. And, you know, it's probably the number one market in terms of where we're spending a lot of time and energy, especially some of the developing ecosystems in Europe. So, you know, that, I guess, gives you your requisite European content to justify uh, this conversation. Uh, definitely. And speaks to the point of us saying that genius is global and sometimes opportunity isn't. And we really hate that. So uh, we are supporting your work uh, all the way. And that's actually why we invited you. This, this is not a joke. This is actually a fact. Following our, our pre-chat, so the chat we had in preparing this episode, we had written down about you that it's hard not to tell the full story. It's the kind of person who has done a million things. So with that in mind, I'm going to challenge you to give our listeners a quick rundown of who you are and what you've done so we get to know you a bit better. Sure. You know, like I mentioned before, based here in Toronto, most of my life, really, I'm an immigrant myself. In fact, my dad was a refugee into this country. I've been blessed by being here in Canada and by the opportunities that were given to me being here in Canada. You know, it's allowed me to follow my passion, I think, uh, through most of my life. And that's something that, you know, is a luxury, I know, for many people and around the world. But, you know, I'm a big believer in in following your passion and, and doing something that you really believe in. And so, you know, my career has kind of been what I'll say is like nonlinear. 
you know, I didn't uh, follow the traditional path that most people go down in terms of, you know, having a game plan for your career and your life of uh, going to go to this school, going to go to this MBA program and then go work for these guys and kill myself working for somebody for 10 years. And then hopefully I make a partner or, uh, you know, something like this. For me, that was really never attractive. And, you know, I have a, we could go down a whole rabbit hole as to why I think that. But regardless, you know, I chose to take a different path. What it meant, though, is that initially my career, I started it actually in the wealth management investment banking space. You know, went to school, got my certifications and designations and all that kind of stuff. Put all in about four years of my life into becoming a wealth manager, only to get a job in the space and quit pretty much six months into it. Because I realized very quickly that it was nothing like what I had expected and really, you know, not something that I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing. So that taught me a lot about kind of putting all your eggs in one basket and trying to do things that you actually want to do. So when I left that, I got the opportunity to go work in government, which was never part of my plan, but the opportunity arose and I thought it was an interesting one. So I, I worked in government for about two years, writing policy for what was here known as the Ontario Green Energy Act. It was kind of a landmark legislation at the time uh, supporting clean tech. I focused primarily on topics related to smart grid, energy conservation, transmission. In doing so, I learned a lot about the energy infrastructure of not just Canada, but many countries and how these systems were structured and the need for technology to help modernize them. And so, you know, after doing that, I became really passionate about topics related to clean tech and new technology in that space. And that sent me down the path of joining a company, a startup really that was trying to commercialize a new product in that space. So that was my first bite of the kind of entrepreneurial dream, if you will, essentially launching an entirely new team launching an entirely new product, getting it to market, getting it in the hands of customers. Really interesting experience, enjoyed every bit of it, but ultimately the company decided not to pursue the path and focus in on core business. And so this has kind of led me down the road then of trying to do other things. And I did end up doing one more stint in government before I was done with it. And that was really as chief of staff to the Minister of Economic Development. Again, trying to focus on small business technology policy, uh, trying to help support Canadian businesses that at the time, I think, you know, it's still maybe somewhat the case, but at the time we were definitely very pessimistic, I think, in Canada and especially in government circles around the ability of Canadian companies to grow and scale and build billion dollar companies. We did not have a, a fantastic track record in this sense. Everybody knows BlackBerry. I think Nortel is another great example of Canadian technology companies that tried to become world-class and kind of failed or maybe succeeded and then imploded for some reason, which is even stranger in my mind. But we had this kind of chip on our shoulder, I think, as Canadians about not being really able to build these companies. And of course, being neighbors to the biggest builder of these companies in the world, there's a complex there, I think, developing as Canadians. <laughs> so through that process, I became very passionate about wanting to help support companies in the early stages. And I wanted to get back in and get out of the government kind of policy framework and actually get back into the market and start helping with that. So the first thing I did was I joined the president of a university here called Ryerson University, which actually became my alma mater. I managed to basically negotiate to have my, uh, I guess, a new degree done while also working there. And I worked there to help support the development of a strategy for incubators out of the university. Today, the university is known for having one of the largest incubators in the country, which is the digital media zone. I was deeply involved in developing the Center for Urban Energy, which was their first kind of spin-off zone, which was vertical focused around clean tech. And through that, I actually got to know the investment community in Canada a bit more, obviously helping to connect some of the companies with potential angel investors. And I was recruited at that point to help join the organization initially as an advisor and then eventually a CEO to join the national organization for angel investment. 
So, you know, really kind of getting deep into the structural problems around why Canadian startups weren't being able to kind of build companies here. And a lot of it, frankly, had to do with Canadian appetite for risk, Canadian access to capital at the time at the early stages, which was not very prevalent. I think the idea of angel investing 10 years ago in Canada was still relatively novice. And definitely what was happening is that even the well-intentioned people that were biking companies were making a lot of mistakes that they knew, but didn't know how not to make them. And so I set out as the CEO of that organization, of the National Angel Capital Organization, I really set out on a mission to help, yes, bring together the investment community in Canada, grow it, improve access to capital. But one of the important kind of undertones there was improving the quality of the investors that Canadian startups can get access to here and doing that through things like data collection, benchmarking, even in education, kind of peer-to-peer education that we created at the time. So, you know, very much kind of focused on trying to help support the ecosystem, work with founders that were building companies and helping, you know, them to access capital, but helping to kind of build the infrastructure required to kind of build those billion dollar companies. You know, I'll say that it was a great experience, although again, not quite fully back in the market because it was a nonprofit. So after about seven years of doing that, I decided enough was enough and I needed to kind of go back into the market. And that's when I essentially left NACO initially to help get a fund, a new fund off the ground called Panache Ventures. And so Panache Ventures, for those who kind of know the Canadian market, is one of the most active VCs in Canada today. It's a $58 million fund launched originally by two active super angels in Canada. I would say some of the kind of most known and most active, most successful, probably angel investors in the Canadian market. And, you know, we essentially put together a strategy on how to kind of address some of these issues, institutional issues of access to capital at the early stages. Again, you know, I think much like in Europe, historically, the VCs have always tended to go late stage, especially the large ones. And so how do you catalyze early stage investment? And so we created a model for a fund that was kind of a hybrid between a traditional fund and a super angel fund. It wasn't just about deploying capital, but it was about doing that and in the process, creating a community of founders, of investors, of LPs. You know, it was a very important project for me. I really enjoyed working with the team for various reasons. I decided not to stick around and instead kind of went down the path of trying to figure out how do we replicate some of the things that we had been building at Panache in an international market. And, you know, again, looking at, you know, the markets that we felt were still developing, but had a lot of potential. So the markets that had great companies, great founder teams, where all the kind of conditions were there, but maybe the capital ecosystem hadn't yet developed quite the same way that we had been able to develop the capital markets in Canada and trying to focus on how do we help support the development of those markets locally, but then also help connect these markets to Canada through the funds that we were working with. And, you know, through that help make it easier, I think to the point that Andreas mentioned earlier, make it easier for opportunities to become a lot more global and not just talent. And so this was kind of the initial goal. Very interesting concept. A lot of friends these days, I would say, all over the world that I, you know, I met through those experiences. But in the end, you know, we realized that there was a bit of a issue around where we were going to launch our first funds and with whom and this kind of thing. And so there was a timing issue around that was kind of built into the company that we were trying to launch. And so we kind of pivoted to say, let's start here in Canada by building something unique here in Canada that allows us to bring these networks together to collaborate with these investors that we've been building relationships with all over the world, but actually start with you know, what we can execute on here locally, which is getting these companies into the North American market and connected into the Canadian market. So that's really the origin story of 
Canada Ventures got together with three other partners that all had similar interests and passion, two of which were actually a lot more focused on the kind of commercialization pathway for startups, helping companies to sell to enterprise. So we came up with a model that really focused on how do we, you know, kind of leverage some of the relationships that we have in these growing markets and these developing markets to help source highly qualified deal flow from all over the world, but definitely, especially certain markets in Europe that we were keenly focused on. And then how do we help those companies actually go through the process of getting set up here, getting landed, making that first sale, validating essentially what they do? Because I find that even in today's day and age, when capital is becoming more and more global and where VCs are starting to get out of their comfort zone, Zone and leave the valley and start looking elsewhere, I find it's still very difficult for a company that is abroad to raise capital in the North American market. And so, you know, what we wanted to do is help actually facilitate that by helping the companies on their land and expand strategy. So how do we help the companies get set up in North America via Canada, given some of the advantages in Canada? And then from there, how do we connect them to the global marketplace through North America, both on the customer side for enterprise customers, but also on the venture side, uh, getting them connected to the Canadian and the American venture capital community. So this is really the goal that we're after with Canada. And we try to align ourselves in such a way that we're 100% aligned with the outcomes of the entrepreneur. So, you know, our focus is not on kind of short-term game, but long-term potential and really on the ability to invest in those companies over time. This is a super cool thing about you, Yuri and Kanata that not all maybe have picked up on. You are raising a fund at the same time as you're already doing this. Could you elaborate a bit on how you do that, both term-wise, because that's interesting, but also... uh, What is the model for you to make this work? Yeah, no, happy to do that. So in terms of what we're doing, essentially, if you want to think of it this way, there's kind of three parts to our business. The uh, ultimate kind of end goal for us is the fund. So that's where we generate all of our returns and how we align everything together. But really, there's three parts to it. First part has to do a lot more with that kind of land So getting into the North American market, going anywhere, if you're going to be expanding your business is going to be difficult. You don't know the marketplace. You don't know the norms. You don't know the laws. You know, it's always nice to have somebody to help guide you through that process. In Canada, we have some interesting programs that really focus on helping to support tech entrepreneurs and also tech talent to come to Canada. People may or may not be aware, but Canada has some very progressive immigration policies especially when it comes to highly qualified people, especially kind of within the technology sector. In particular, there's a program called the Startup Visa Program that essentially, when it was launched, was launched with the intention of being able to turn around permanent residency, so not a work visa, but actually a permanent residency for a team of up to five founders and their families, and do that in about a six-month time frame. So that was the target, the idea being that if the entrepreneur and the founder team could find a qualified investor or organization like an accelerator, that was willing to sponsor the companies to come here and was committing to essentially investing their time and energy to work and money in some cases to work with the companies, then the government would then facilitate that process by accelerating the process of immigrating the company over. And this is an interesting program because you know people may not be aware, but it can take quite a long time to get a permanent residency processed here. I think the official timeline is something like three years, but usually it takes north of five years, often seven to nine years to get one of these processed. So the ability to be able to turn that around in less than a year was fantastic, frankly. The program also comes with a work visa. So even once you put in your application, you can immediately get here and and start working on setting up that business. So this was an interesting opportunity. I think it was kind of visionary on behalf of the government to do this. But like anything else, it comes 
with kind of details and the devil's always in the details. And some of the challenges that we've seen around this program have to do with the capacity of the organizations and the focus of the organizations that have the power to sponsor companies and how do they then get access to these companies? How do they triage all the interested companies that are looking to come in. There's quite, uh, I'll say, uh, usually about north of 500 to 600 companies a year that are applying to this program from all over the world. So really being able to manage that is a significant kind of hurdle for a lot of these organizations. So what we decided to do was essentially build a program around helping to coordinate the companies that were applying for this program and take them through a process that we could use to quickly diligence them and figure out whether we thought they might be a good fit for this ecosystem. You know, do they have a good kind of business reason to be here? Do they have enough traction to really kind of be thinking about expansion? And, you know, do we think that their product or service is something that would be successful here in this market? And so to that end, we've taken that on in partnership with a lot of these organizations that have this ability to sponsor the companies. And then what we do is we bring those companies forward for sponsorship and then collaborate with the local organizations on getting those companies landed here and set up. And that's a big part of, of kind of what we do. It's essentially a matchmaking service, if you want to think of it that way, between the company and the organizations, making sure that the company is getting set up for success when they're getting into this market and having somebody like us to help handhold them through that process. It's a lot of work to do this and to work with companies on this. But you know, at the same time, we think it's an important part of the process because essentially what we're doing is helping to get to know the companies and, and diligencing them while actually helping them to execute. And so to some extent, this is something that we saw as necessary kind of uh, sweat equity that we would build into the business while helping these companies. What we don't do is we don't charge the companies any money for this service. And that's an important part of our model. You know, we're, again, we're basically banking everything on long-term growth of the companies and aligning ourselves with their interests. So we don't charge them anything. And this is important because part of the reason why we did this is that we realized that there were some people out there in the market charging significant amounts of money to some of these founders to get access to this program. And we didn't think that, that was right. We didn't think that that was something that was in the interest of either the companies or Canada, frankly. So this is something that we wanted to fix. And so what we do is we basically work with the companies as an advisor. So, you know, we typically will negotiate kind of standard advisor shares advisor position with the company. Nothing kind of crazy. Try to keep it very simple and, and straightforward. The most important part for us is to establish a relationship with the company so that we actually have like a real role with the company to help support them. Probably the most important thing within that is the ability to invest in the company at the right time. So we make sure that we have the participation rights within the company to invest at the next round of investment. And that's really our, our key focus. So what we focus on doing then is really getting the company landed here, getting the, that part of it validated so that the local investment community understands that, you know, this company's here and they're serious about expanding into this market and then helping with the sales. The second part of our business is really the sales part. So very much focused on helping the companies to access their first clients. So again, part of our betting process is trying to figure out whether this is something that customers here would want or would buy. Once the company is on their way to getting here, we really try to kind of step that up a notch and work with the companies to facilitate some introductions, yes. But more importantly, we try to help the company think through all the challenges that they're going to have in getting their company set up to sell here. As you can imagine, going from one jurisdiction to another, there's different norms in terms of how sales process works. But more importantly, there are regulatory hurdles. There are, in some cases, different standards about the technology and what it needs to look like to be able to service an enterprise client. These are problems that we help the companies think through and address as they're getting ready to sell those companies. And at this stage, we kind of call it kind of our commercialization accelerator. And what we do is if we pick a company to 
work intently with them on this part. What we'll do is we'll make a small investment, not unlike a, a typical accelerator investment for some additional equity for money. And we'll put in the additional kind of time and energy to help a company validate their sales process and validate their traction in the market. Throughout all of this, we're likely helping them to connect to the ecosystem and connect with investors locally. But, you know, we want to make sure that if we're going to be putting in some significant time on the sales side, that we also have our own money and, and skin in the game. And, you know, again, are, are doubling down on our investment in those companies. And then the third part of the business is really the VC itself. And so obviously it's the VC that's making all of these investments. It's the VC that's collecting those advisor shares over time. And the VC is being set up to kind of work with the companies over this period of time, which can sometimes be years, get to know the companies really well, and not only make investments in the companies, of course, that we see succeeding, but also to help facilitate the syndication of investment rounds. So using the, the networks that we have, using the LPs that we have in the fund to help close a larger, more significant round with strategic investors that can then take the company to the next level in this market. And that's super interesting, Yuri. I love the way that you have hacked the uh, Golden Visa to be your deal flow. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that is super cool. David, I want to kick it to you. Any questions to follow up on? Yeah, here? definitely. I actually want to circle back to your investment thesis, so to speak, because I think it might not have been super clear to some of our, our listeners. What are the type of companies you're looking for? What's your target deal, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And let me ask already like a follow-up question. This one's a bit provocative, which is why go through Canada? Why not go directly to the States? Because that's what everyone says is the way to go, right? So let me kind of put you on the spot as well. So why should these companies do that rock? What's the value out there? In terms of the stage and vertical, the vertical is less important to us. Definitely we have, I'll say, certain skills that we've built around our team. So in addition to the four co-founders, we have a team of six partners that have come in that all bring kind of a unique skill set and industry expertise into the team. You know, so definitely there are some that we understand better than others. Obviously, like everybody else in the world, I think we're keen on anything to do with logistics these days, remote work, AI, uh, you know, AI being uh, something that Canada is very strong in and has a lot of talent in that we could help the companies with. And even med tech being a, a very kind of hot sector these days for obvious reasons. But we're kind of agnostic to the sector or vertical, I'll say, in that we'll look at any company. And if we think we have the ability to help the company, then we'll engage with them. So that's one of the first things that we look for on our end is can we really add value to the company? And if we can, then we'll engage with them. The stage is kind of the more important one, I would say. For us, we kind of are working on the assumption that it probably doesn't make sense for a very early stage company to try to leave their home market and come here, especially if at the point where they haven't yet validated their product or they haven't achieved any sales, just stacking additional risk on top of what you're already doing in running a, a high-risk business to then you know, rip that company out in its early stages and bring it to a new market. It's not to say that we won't look at those because we do sometimes make exceptions. Like if there's a fantastic founder team or they're working on something really unique that we understand keenly, we do make exceptions around the stage. But typically what we're looking for is a company that probably at the earliest kind of in the pre-seed stage, ideally kind of seed stage is what we're looking for. And we have worked in the past with companies that are at the Series A stage as well. But that's kind of our sweet spot in that range there. Part of the reason for that is a few things. One is we want to make sure that the company has some experience selling to customers, at least in their home market. If they're already selling in North America, then that's fantastic. But important to us that they at least have some experience selling in their home market to enterprise companies there or at least medium-sized business companies there so that we have something to help them sell. So that's you know kind of a first thing. Again, if they don't have something that we can help them sell, we can't really help them that much. So that's kind of one of our first points. In terms of revenue, yes, definitely we have targets in terms of what we'd like to see. And again, you know, there's some there can be some forgiveness in that because, you know, essentially the first step 
is to help get the companies landed, right? So one thing I will say is that we typically won't invest in a company until they've already gotten landed here. And there's very simple reasons for that. Again, there's a lot of risk in that process before the company gets here. And so we want to make sure that we understand that the company is going to be successful in getting set up here before, you know, putting any capital into them. But, you know, what we uh, do is we look at things like, do they have recurring revenue if they're a SaaS business? If so, what does that recurring revenue look like? Typically, we're looking at anywhere between 50K MRR is kind of our sweet spot, up to 100K MRR, you know, is, is kind of what I would call our sweet spot of traction for us. Again, depending on the company, could be a little bit less. Uh, we work with companies that have significantly more, but that's kind of a sweet spot on the revenue side of things. On the capital side of things, that they've raised capital before coming isn't necessarily a must. It's always a, a positive. Obviously, if they've recently raised capital and they have that money now to finance their expansion, that's always good. But I think the second part of that is the most important part, which is they have the capital to finance the expansion, whether it's through revenues, through their own kind of internal investment, or if they've raised money externally, they have to be able to kind of, regardless of how you look at it, there's going to be a cost in setting up a business in a new country and, you know, the time that it takes to kind of build that business out in that market. So we want to make sure that they have the resources to do that. So this is, I think, the most important part really the traction and the resources to kind of finance that expansion. Beyond that, we can be fairly flexible in terms of the kinds of companies we work with, but definitely we're looking at high growth companies. We're just like everybody else, just like every other VC, we're looking for the unicorns out there. If it's a lifestyle business, it's probably less interesting for us. These are things to kind of keep in mind. So Yuri, I'm curious, how should European VCs look at you? Should they see you as a competitor or should they see you as a partner that they should reach out to when they're going to the States and Canada? Yeah, so I think we work with quite a few European VCs and angel investors already that refer us to Flow. We are essentially set up to be able to be a partner for those investors. Really, our goal is to help add value to those companies in two ways. One is helping them to expand into a very significant new market. So if we can help de-risk the expansion of that company into a new market, that adds value to the company and it adds value to the portfolio. And then the other way is helping that company to access local investment here. Typically speaking, if you look at, this may not be obvious to everybody, but if you look at the way rounds are structured in each market, you kind of quickly start to realize that there is a big difference, whether you raise money in somewhere like Portugal, for example, or Estonia, or if you're raising money in the UK or the US or in Canada, for example. And so these are factors that need to be considered. There's an impact on the amount of money that the business can raise. And of course, as everybody knows, for a company that's scaling quickly, the amount of money that you can raise impacts your growth rate. And so that's an important consideration. And the other thing is, of course, valuations here tend to be a lot higher. And so this is another aspect in which we're trying to help add value to the portfolio of these investors. So definitely as an ally, I would say, is the way we're trying to set ourselves up in the relationships with these other investors. You kind of touched on this, but I would love to ask you to expand a bit on it, which is how do you go about building these relationships in Europe, having this reach? Because it's quite a sweet spot you're looking for, right? Yeah. So you need to be quite strategic in finding these deals. So I'm curious to know, besides these, you talked briefly about other VCs, early stage VCs and also angels. How do you go about it besides that? Honestly, these are long-term relationships. In some cases, yes. We're getting connected with new investors all the time that are interested in working with us. But a lot of these are pre-existing relationships from many years, as you can imagine, kind of running the national organization here and then, you know, working with Ash Ventures, some of the work I was doing there. These are relationships that I've built over the years in many of the markets that we think are very interesting. And so right now, it's just a matter of helping to essentially give us something to work on together, uh, which is helping to grow their companies into the North American market. My goal is in the long run, 
to see if there's opportunities to kind of replicate this model in other markets. So again, you know, my angle is still about ecosystem building through collaboration. And we look at as this step as kind of like the first step in doing that. This is not like the way that Canada has benefited from its relationship to the U.S. One of the things that Canada has always been down about internally is that we lose a lot of talent. We lose a lot of companies to the U.S. It's just such a shiny, bright beacon that the politicians are always bemoaning the fact that we're losing people and talent to the U.S. And rightly so. I mean, it's unfortunate when you see people of such high caliber going away. But what we've also noticed is that when you look at this as a long enough timeline, it actually benefited the Canadian ecosystem as well. We have many Canadian founders that have had tons of experience building and growing companies and raising capital in the Valley in the U.S., who've now come back to the ecosystem and have been investing in building out the capacity of the Canadian ecosystem to actually be able to do these things on our own. And, you know, I, I would argue that without that experience, that would have never happened. There's also something to be said about recycling capital within the market. When you have a company that grows as far as the company is able to grow in their local ecosystem and then goes on to grow somewhere else, there are investors here that benefit. And again, you know, even aside from just the founder team that may end up deciding to come back, there are investors here that benefit and that capital typically gets recycled right back into the ecosystem. So this is another important kind of consideration when you're thinking about the impact in the long term of this kind of ecosystem building. So yeah, I think that like it comes in stages. You have to kind of build the capacity. You can't just go from zero to billion dollar companies overnight. It takes time. I think some ecosystems do it better than others. Patience is essential, which is not always easy to be achieved kind of with policymakers and that kind of stuff, especially the political class. But it's something that's actually required. And these are long-term relationships that uh, we're trying to establish. And, and, you know, again, our big thesis here is that there is great talent and there are great companies all over the world. And so, you know, I think as a world, we're going to benefit from the ability to kind of democratize this opportunity around the world. Awesome, Yuri. We're running out of time, unfortunately. So um, we're going to move on to the final segment, which is what we call the quick fire round. It's self-explanatory. Quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? Okay, sure. So first question, what would you personally like to change about the VC landscape? So one of the missions that I've been on for a while is actually trying to solve for the unit economics of funds. So this is actually a problem problem that we have as a VC community where small funds are really hard to manage because they have not a lot of capital. So that means that everybody's incentivized to build big funds that invest late stage. And, you know, that's not where the biggest impact is had in terms of helping support entrepreneurs. Second question, what are your key learnings or tips for emerging managers? Oh, that's a, that's a deep question. Um, I mean, I think my personal takeaway is that, you know, don't do what everybody else is doing. Try to figure out a niche that really speaks to your experience and what you're able to uniquely deliver. I find there's too many funds out there and too many emerging fund managers that are just basically trying to do what everybody else has done. And, you know, when you look at the returns in the VC landscape, it's very indicative that doing that doesn't necessarily lead you anywhere. There's a very small percentage of funds that return the majority of the returns for the entire ecosystem. You don't want to be one of the funds that is on the losing end of that spectrum. You want to be one of the outlier funds that actually generates 3x or more. And, you know, I would challenge that you're not going to do that just simply because you have access to capital and you're going to just do what everybody else is doing. The final question, David graciously allowed me to do this one, and I just wanted to hear from you. Having advised as many startups as you have, what do you see as the most important value add for any VC to founders? Hmm. You know, I think it, it actually does differ depending on what the VC is trying to accomplish in the stage and type of company that they're investing in. But typically, as a VC, you're trying to find a more efficient way of allocating capital. 
That's ultimately your goal as a VC. So helping the companies actually with that process of, you know, fundraising should be, I think, in my opinion, something that VCs are deeply involved in in supporting the companies on. Definitely, you know, if you're a bigger VC and you have a bigger team and a bigger platform, there are things that you can help the companies on with regards to sales and with regards to validation, peer-to-peer mentoring. There's a lot of ways that a VC can add value. But I think the number one thing that a VC can do is help the company kind of get through their stage, whatever that stage is that the VC is investing at, and hopefully warmly hand them off to the next stage of investors that needs to take them on to continue to grow. Oftentimes, you know, the VCs don't do enough of that, I find, and, and kind of leave the companies to fend for themselves. And this is, I think, a problem. Yuri, thank you so much. It was great chatting with you today, and we wish you all the best in the future. You're doing something super cool, and you can always count on us at the European VC to help you bringing your mission forward. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate the invitation, and uh, always good chatting with you. This was our interview with Yuri Navarro, managing partner at Canada Ventures. If you would like to see more from Yuri, I suggest you follow him on LinkedIn. We thank you for listening to the European VC, the go-to place for insight into European VC. Visit theeuropeanvc.com to hear more from us. If you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us. And founders, don't forget that if you're about to raise an international round, we're always here to help you, so do reach out.